eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, how are you doing on this uh, what, afternoon? Uh, rolling up the sleeves and, and buckling in. We, uh, we took in Coach O today, uh, you and I. That was the final Monday press conference of the Warzron era, so he had a bunch of questions on that, and and now we're uh, sitting, see, uh, sitting down for a pod. I was about to say, we just drew up the rundown and actually a lot to get to. And we kind of weren't sure if we were just going straight coaching talk or what. So it yeah. should be a good podcast. Yeah, I was. I told you at the prep, at the presser, I was like, I'm not sure we have enough for a podcast. And then Eli Rick's situation happened and we we're like, all right, there we go. And then uh, we got coaching talk. We didn't do a post game pod for ULM, obviously, after that kind of a disgusting game. <laughs> But we'll touch on all that. It was midnight by the time we were done. Exactly, exactly. So we'll touch on all that, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, we, I really want to shout out to everybody watching on YouTube as well because our YouTube has shot up over the past couple weeks. Um, so I really appreciate everybody checking out that, sending it to their friends, subscribing, and uh, dropping a like and all that stuff. Also appreciate the podcast people, but just want to give a shout out to the YouTube uh, channel. And a shout out to the guy because I just finished my lunch from Smalls, which is also Maddie B favorite uh, since he moved to town. But uh, one of my guys working, I didn't catch his name, fan of the site, loves our work. We chatted it up, chopped a little uh, coaching search up. So uh, shout out to the the Smalls worker that, uh, like I said, didn't catch his name, but love Smalls. But a shout out, love Smalls, great place. Um, all right, Shay, let's talk about the big news of the day. Eli Ricks uh, reportedly entering the transfer portal after a season, after two seasons at LSU, obviously uh, comes over from IMG Academy, uh, a five-star guy, someone who we anticipated being a huge, huge player for this team coming into the season. And he was for six games and then obviously gets hurt and elects to have season ending surgery. And that's where we, everyone was like, okay, this is not great, but you know, it is surgery. It happens and, and the injuries continue to stack up, but it wasn't, we weren't sure about whether, what this meant. And now we get some clarity, obviously with the whole Ed Orgeron situation, I believe Ed Orgeron was fired after he elected to have surgery. Um, one way or another, you can correct me, but now he enters the transfer portal. Uh, just what are your initial thoughts and takeaways from that? Well, I think it's a well, you saw the board reaction, Maddie B. Uh, a lot of these people, obviously, who are listening to the pod, have followed Eli Ricks since high school. He was at Modern Day, he transferred to IMG, uh, and then when he committed to LSU, it was sort of this whole like in limbo thing. And a lot of people thought he was going to flip to Ohio State. 
Uh, he comes, he plays that 2020 season a year ago. I think he led the country in pick. I know he led the SEC in picks. I don't, he might've been like second or third in the country, uh, but had a really good freshman year. And even then, I think he only played in eight of the 10 games and yeah. then you had six this year. So 14 total games isn't exactly what you want out of your five-star, right? Like that was your five-star signee after Stingley that was supposed to be this one-two punch. And, and obviously on both sides, it, it didn't sort of end the way you wanted it because both of them ended up being hurt this year. And then now Eli Ricks transferring his money years next year, Matty B. It's, yep. He'll be a junior. Everyone sort of thought, okay, he's all, I mean, look, even last off season um, when he had just had a really good freshman year, there were rumblings that he was about to enter the portal and go to Ohio state to the point where his parents had to come and say like out and they were quoted in the public as saying, look, he's not doing anything. He's locked in. We saw him obviously come back and play his sophomore year, but I guess it's not like a big surprise considering those things, right? Like that there were always these little hurdles along the way that you had heard he might enter the portal, but we never knew for sure. And, and I, in fact, for me, it caught me by surprise that he would do it now when you're a week out from finding out who the new head coach is. And just because you plan to enter the portal, I don't even think he's officially in there yet as the time we're recording this, but uh, even if you plan to enter it or enter it, you can always take your name out and come back. And obviously maybe if Corey Raymond stays, that makes him feel more comfortable. I don't know how things will play out there. If you're making me guess about where could he go, I've mentioned the Buckeyes have always been in the mix for him. USC is going through a coaching change, but that was sort of one of the teams that was in the mix because it was a hometown team for him. Bama needs corners badly next year. So, I mean, there's there's plenty of options with really high-profile programs that I, I don't think Eli Ricks is going somewhere lower than LSU. You know, I think you would want to be at a, another school that's contending, especially in his money years. So, we'll see. I, I don't – you know, this is one that's been sort of unpredictable to the point where it won't surprise me if he just came back to LSU. It won't surprise me if he transfers to – another school without much more fanfare to it. So we'll track it. Um, but the only surprising thing here to me was the timing that he would, the kind of one of the marquee guys on the team would leave maybe five days before you find out who a new head coach is. So that yeah. was curious in a, in a way, but again, we'll see how it unfolds. Yeah. I, I think the, the hope from obviously Scott Woodward and a lot of the, the administration is that players kind of hold on just for a second to kind of give it, give the coaching search a second to name the coach and then figure it out and then go from there to where players can at least react. And we saw Ortron say that Mickey Joseph, who's the wide receivers coach, associate head coach, recruiting coordinator, he said he took all freshmen off, um, which, you know, they've got a really talented freshman class uh, for Emil this past week, or you know, I don't know if he said when, but he said recently. And that it was that message, right, Matty B, that it was reassure him, hey, y'all just have patience. Don't do anything right now. Finish out the season. You know, stick together. Y'all are the young core of this team and then see what the new coaching staff looks like. Um, so you like hearing that if you're an LSU fan, because obviously as many woes as you've had with the roster and total numbers, this freshman class they put together during a pandemic where they weren't even able to go out and eval these guys. Like they had met these some of these signees for the first time when they moved in this summer, that was the first time I'd ever seen them face to face. So a really nice freshman class. We're seeing the fruits of that this season. You want that to be in place for the next head coach. So it's, it's good that they've sort of got that message drilled home to them. Yeah. And from Orgeron's perspective, it helps that he's not, I mean, if we take him by his word that he's not looking to coach somewhere else next year, um, right. that does help to where he's like, all right, I'm from Louisiana. This has my, been my dream job. 
Um, I, th- I do think he's enjoyed every every day of it, good or bad. And he's not going to coach somewhere next year. So now he's just like, all right, let's just let's just keep doing what we're doing. You know, that he's been known as a recruiter his entire career. Just keep recruiting, just keep doing what he's been doing. And it's not only recruiting for the next class, but it's also recruiting these freshmen to stay, these sophomores to stay as well. Cause like you said, the freshman class is great, but the hell the sophomore class is really good too. That's been really impactful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's done his job, but at the end of the day, these kids are gonna look for what's best for them. And I think a lot of them will give the new coach a chance maybe, or they'll at least see who who it is and be like, okay, this is interesting. Who do they keep from the current staff who, who leaves? But I mean, we, we could talk about it. I, I, this, I don't think it's going to be a massive, massive change because a lot of kids, at least from what I've seen from coaching turnover, give the new coach a chance. Like, uh, we say with Kim Mulkey, right? Obviously, that's a different kind of situation, but a lot of those players stayed, right? Kim Mulkey only added one player from Baylor. Of a lot of players will give the new coach staff a chance and then use that one trans one time transfer after the first year. So that's what I'm kind of thinking, but I do think we'll see uh, a few more transfers in in the coming weeks. And we saw it with Jay Johnson, right? And yep. and maybe this will be a good point to drop him. What my point was going to be about the transfer portal and. And it's always a worry, right? It's a concern. If you're losing a five-star into the portal, then yes, it's a concern. It's a hurdle for you. I'm with you, though, that it's not – I don't think it's going to be some widespread thing because I think that a lot of these guys are going to wait around. And as I mentioned, Jay Johnson, LSU's baseball coach at Woodward, hired from Arizona, the current players on the roster, which were a lot of – I mean, they've got a couple of the most talented freshmen in the country from last year's team uh, that were coming back. They've got recruits coming in, all of that. All those guys pretty much stayed put and said, we're going to give them a chance. And now they – you know, not only have seemingly grown to love him, but he brought with him a bunch of really, you know, some talented transfers, whether that was him, whether that was, you know, different staff hires he made who were able to bring in the transfer to from where they were. And I think that's one thing that you'll have to remember here. If you're worrying about Eli Ricks and worrying about the transfer portal, the transfer portal giveth and taketh, uh, and it's the, the yin and yang of it that is, if you're really good at it, and if you're really good at working the portal, is what kind of makes it a wash or or makes you still come out on top. And what I mean by that, maybe more so than ever, right, is that now the NCAA has got it in place where you can take transfers and they're not counting against that 25. The transfers, if Miles Brennan stays in the portal or, you know, um, uh, Coy Moore or, um, you know, Eli Ricks, guys like this, for every guy you have leave, you can now replace him. And it doesn't count against your 25 initial counters, your your scholarship signees, which – uh, are obviously largely high school signees. Yeah. Now you can focus on high school as much as you want, some JUCO, whatever it might be. But then you can count up to seven guys. For every one guy that leaves up to seven, you can replace them. I'm not saying you're going to go get another Eli Ricks, but you might get a guy or two that can at least give you depth there. You might get a starter at another position that you feel brings real value and maybe beyond just one more year, like Ricks has one more year. Maybe you get someone who's got a couple more years in them. So uh, I think that will be something to really monitor once – not just the new head coach is named, but also when these assistants are all named, because certainly with LSU's roster numbers being low, with them really having needs at a lot of positions that you can put in, as you noted, the freshman and sophomore classes are very good. So you put those guys all in place, then you start saying, okay, what has my new signing class done for me? Then where do I need to fill in the holes? And you can start filling them in, like I said, up to seven guys. That's a lot of guys you could go after in the transfer portal. And if you've got a coach who's coming, not only is he just going to explore the whole portal, but he's going to have guys on his team. 
I guarantee it that will say, at least think about it. Do I want to use my one-time transfer now? Because my, A, my coach is leaving. B, he's going to LSU. And there's only so many schools out there that players are at where they would say, I don't need to go to LSU. I'm already at Bama, Georgia, you know, whomever it is. Uh, you know, not everyone's fitting into that group. So it'll be an intriguing storyline for me. That's like the next wave of storylines after the head coaching stuff. That's that's pretty much going to be all December, right? Because, I mean, you have the you have early signing day, which we have to see, A, this new staff keep the class together, which we assume that they've done, Orgeron and company have done a good job of for the most part, but still, obviously, it's hit or miss at times. You don't know what's going to change to that point. But then it's the transfer portal and who they're going to add on because I think those additions will come relatively quickly, right? Those will be the ones that we see, like you said, if it's whoever from a – Decently big school. I don't want to throw a random name out there. You were uh, about to do Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams. I, I was. I was not. You just. Ah, uh, uh, man. I can't even. I can't even speculate anymore. Um, okay. If it's a random school, like I don't know, um, and they bring over another guy, it will happen really quickly. So that's that's going to be the interesting point, like you said, to see how that kind of evolves <clears> over the coming weeks. Um, but I mean, like I said, the, the especially a couple like I mean, receiver, uh, running back. Garrett Nussmeyer, quarterback. I mean, I feel really good about the freshman, sophomore classes. It's just about who they keep from those classes. I mean, defensive line, I feel pretty good about. I'm going through it. I feel pretty good about every position except maybe like corner and offensive line and like maybe linebacker as well since Clark and Baskerville are probably gone. Right. Yeah, you have to think those seniors will be gone. The linebacker, I think, will be a huge position because if you don't have Clark and Baskerville, and Mike Jones has really found a home in this like three, four, almost our yeah. you know, outside linebacker type role. You're talking true middle backers. We haven't seen Josh White. You know, we haven't seen Antoine Sampa. You've now moved Mike Jones outside. It's just not a lot of guys that you would then go to and say, oh, yeah, no, like Greg Penn has played a little bit, but then you would yeah. presume like it's like the only guy you can name now that would be like immediately starting. The only guy who's actually played some. So. Uh, it'll be interesting. Obviously, Josh White should be healthy, and maybe him and Greg Penn will be the starting linebackers, but I would have to no doubt think that – and we heard it. When Orgeron was the coach midseason when we would talk about the portal, he would say O-line and linebacker and, and at times safety, but he would say those are sort of the groups we really got to focus on. I think that holds true for the next uh, – Yep, definitely. Um, anything else on the Eli Ricks or transfer portal side of things? We touched it. I mean, I'd be surprised. I, like I said, I was surprised by Rick doing it now. So I don't, I doubt they're going to have any more transfers before they name a head coach. I would think that these guys are going to wait out a week or two. Yeah. Yeah. After, after the coach is named, I, I can't place any bets. I have no idea what's going to happen at that point. So um, let's go to, since, like I said, we didn't, we didn't do our post game for the ULM game. It was late. The game started at like 8 PM. And then also it got out of there at like midnight. It was. Yeah. Also it was a game that like, people didn't really enjoy for the most part. I think it's safe to say, Uh, but LSU leaves with a 27 14 win and uh, a late kid. Your field goal was the only thing that made it 27 to 14. If not, it would have been 24 to 14. And I, I mean, like I said, it was a pretty boring game, pretty ugly game. It wasn't the explosive performance that we were kind of hoping for. I went out on a limb because our predictions had been too kind of uniform to me the past couple weeks. So I was like, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to have, I think I had it 45 to 7 LSU. This is bad. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even close. It was just awful. I'm now, I'm now two and nine picking against the spread in LSU games. Shay, do you understand how bad that is? 
You didn't actually bet them this. That's the no, question. no, no. I didn't bet any of those games, but I'm just actually two and nine in my picks, like against the spread, like. And so, yeah, I'm I'm awful. So fade, fade whatever I pick. That's that should be all's motto going forward. But what what were some of your takeaways from from the ULA game, real quick? You know, I thought we sort of sit on the board uh, and in the game thread while we're watching you and I in Tiger Stadium. Uh, and like you said, it was sort of an unavailable, like two weeks in a row, Arkansas is kind of a boring game and ULM was kind of a boring game. There weren't many people there. It was already like 10 at night. So we were sort of looking for anything to discuss. And I wasn't, I brought this up to the board and obviously like there's so many nuances to this. Offenses have changed everything, but over the, since LSU's 2007 national championship season, the number of quarterbacks, and I sort of listed them all who have ever started a game at LSU. And we're going back to like Andrew Hatch, who's a Harvard transfer and, the Jarrett Lee and Jordan Jefferson days all the way to present. And the 300-plus yard passing games, 15 for Burrow. No surprise. He's up front. He had two years under his belt. The second year, he pretty much racked them all up. I think he had two or three the first year. Max Johnson is a sophomore in year two behind an offensive line that's been in musical chairs, uh, an offensive coordinator this year that has sort of been harpooned at, time, at times by you know Orgeron and others for not calling plays. Uh, the way he would have expected. And he's a first-year coordinator, so there were road bumps expected. And there's been drops and poor play. But Max is second on that list of all the way dating back 2007 with five. So in ULM, he went over 300 yards again. So we started the discussion. And and I brought it up to Orgeron today. I was just curious what he kind of thought about, you know, how do, how do you think Max plays or has played? And, and he sort of circled what I think everyone feels about Max is that like you wish he wouldn't hold on to the ball as long. And then sometimes he's holding on to it too long because there's nobody open and then he's getting sacked. And then other times you just wish your play calling was better. You're putting him in a better spot to have success. And then there's, you know, times where he's on or, or you know, times where he just misses maybe. But then you look up and he's a 67% passer for 319 yards, two touchdowns. He runs for a touchdown. He doesn't turn the ball over. And you say, huh, God, is that that's what I just watched. It didn't feel like that yeah. when I was watching it. And I think that's sort of how LSU fans always feel. And it's almost kind of like Orgeron said it that way. It's kind of like, look, you, you can look at the stats and then you get into the film room and it's almost like you're tearing them apart when really you didn't have that bad of a game at all. He's nearly a 70% passer for you. And I know it's ULM, but that sort of rhetoric and is remained the same across a lot of Max's games. He had kind of a bad month, right? Up until Nussmeyer uh, got benched. It was when the running game or Nussmeyer got into the game. It was like the running game really took off. And like then the offense looked like, okay, now you've been passing it real, you know, enough and you couldn't run it. Now you're running it, but you can't pass it. And, you know, you just could never find that balance. And uh, I think now maybe you're hoping you can find that this week, right, with A&M. But yeah. I guess one of my takeaways was that, that I thought that Max looked good. And, and a lot of times when Max has looked good, Kayshawn's been on fire. And we saw a bit of that from Malik Neighbors. I mean, that, six targets, he had five catches. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was Besh. Uh, seven targets, four catches, 143 when he had, and one. When he had four catches for 143 and one, he was also at four targets. So I guess his next three targets, I can't remember exactly if, kind of if he dropped it or overthrew it, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But that's a he breakout. He had one drop game. in there. Okay, so, oh, yeah. Oh, I see it. Yeah, they actually calculated drops. Um, but that's a breakout game. And Orgeron's even said it. We've said it. After Butte went out, you won one game before this ULM game since kind of Butte went out and then the news of O getting fired. You beat Florida. Well, why? Well, Jeray Jenkins caught three touchdowns that day. Like Ty Davis Price also broke the rushing record, but you still needed a receiver to go out there and get three touchdowns for you. And Jeray did it. 
and they just didn't have that, you know, these past games. And neighbors did it against ULM, and we're kind of we're talking about this game, and we're kind of going to shift to A and M here and, and do some yeah. thoughts just because uh, it's Thanksgiving week, and obviously we won't catch you for our normal podcast because it'll be Thursday on Thanksgiving Day. But I would have to think, right? A key to the A and M game is, yeah, they're going to have to run the ball. They've actually played really good defense since the bye week, um, pretty much consistently every single week, and the goal line stands at ULM, all that's like, that's impressive. The guys are in there, they're fighting, they're buckling in. They gave one away at the end. It really should have only been seven points, but I'd have to think that someone's got to like neighbors, probably maybe it's Brian Thomas, but they've got to get a guy who's scoring multiple touchdowns going well over a hundred yards in this game for me to think that they're going to keep pace, you know, not that A&M is some high profile offense, but LSU doesn't score a lot of points right yeah. now. As, as you noted, Maddie B break down the, the gambling spread once more. They've been rocking the under now for a month straight. Four four straight games of the under for for LSU, and it's not even like close. The the before ULM, it had been like the under hit by like thirty points, thirty points, and twenty nine points, and then ULM was by sixteen. Like they're not even getting close to that like point total. And so now the point total for uh, which we'll talk about more um, for the A and M game is forty six and a half, and it's just like Vegas is just like please. Just score point. That's just gonna. That's a bad football number right there. It's just at any point, please. Uh, but I, I agree. I think from what I've seen, I mean, obviously Jack Besh is about as explosive as you can ask uh tight end slash receiver hybrid to be. I mean, he breaks tackles, is able to get upfield really well. But there's a different element when you have that Keishon Boutte type talent, right? And Malik Neighbors is probably the one. I mean, I like Trey Palmer a lot. I like Jeray Jenkins. I like John Trey Kirkland. Sure, I like uh, Brian Thomas. But Malik Neighbors with the ball in his hands feels a little different to me. And he feels like that type of guy that can be the next Keishon Boutte or can be the next, you know, Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, whoever you say. And that's what's going to be big for this team. And that's why I agree with your point to where Max Johnson is obviously was really good. He as far as just getting the ball out of his hands on those quick throws, the screens, the pop passes, and taking what the defense gave him because ULM kept kind of sagging off. But whenever whenever he has that one receiver that he can just kind of look at and be like, all right, he's going to be open down the field. He's going to be the one. I'm going to hit on this crosser, on this post, on this go. That's where he kind of goes, and then he reads off of that, right? That's kind of like how Max Johnson operates because he's not a great – quarterback that can just sit back in the pocket and progress progress and then boom get a throw out usually when he progresses he's holding the ball too long and he takes a sack so it's going to be interesting to see if Malik Neighbors can kind of continue that because we've seen good Brian Thomas games we've seen uh good Trey Palmer games uh we've seen Devontae Lee make a catch or two like we've seen all these these young receivers we saw Deion Smith game obviously he's hurt so that's kind of I'm not going to say he hasn't continued that but still we've seen all these young guys have good games at some point Malik Neighbors probably is the one that I think is the most capable of repeating that performance outside of obviously Jack Besh because Jack Besh is just that good. So, um, yeah, I, I think from that ULM game, it was it was kind of disappointing to see the run game not really get going as much. 21 carries for 82 yards for uh, Ty Davis Price. And, you know, Corey Kiner only gets six carries. Josh Williams ends up getting three carries for three yards or for two yards rather. And so the run game was kind of disappointing there. That looked a little bit like McNeese in some in some ways. But, you know, when they got the ball to those playmakers, it was just like, all right, we have these four- and five-star athletes on the outside, and we're going against UL Monroe. So that was kind of just the difference. 
Um, I agree with Damone Clark more than Ed Orgeron on the defense side of the ball. I didn't think it was a great defensive game, but they did have those. They, you know, they they buffed up a little bit when they had to, and that's what you want to see from this defense because I, I don't think they took ULM seriously at all, and I think they they looked over them. They looked towards AM. I mean, hell, Ed Orgeron said that they he ripped off his shirt after the ULM game because of AM, not even obviously because of ULM. So I think I'm not too worried about their performance against AM because of ULM, but I am worried about their performance against AM because of AM, if that makes sense. Well, I think we should honor Ed Orgeron here and flip the script because on our rundown, we. I'm not taking this, my shirt off, or Shay. No, don't, don't do it. <laughs> after this, we were going to break down. Uh, some final thoughts from ULM uh, and then we were going to do coaching search stuff and then we were going to preview A&M, but let's flip the script. Let's just move right into A&M because let's build on these thoughts here uh, and then we'll wrap up and we'll, we'll give you all the coaching stuff that you're probably sitting here and waiting around for. You're just skipping through the podcast to get to. No, we just so put it at the end. That way right. they got to watch the whole coming. thing. Um, okay. So then now when you, let me offer this up to you. Let's see. Here's the most fundamental way to look at A&M right now. They are the number 11 offense in the SEC. That is not great. There's only 14 teams. Uh, LSU's 12. They average 400 yards a game. LSU's at 370. So they average a little bit more than LSU a game, um, but they're not. you're not talking about a Mississippi, a Bama, uh, even a Florida, teams that are averaging 500, you know, 480 yards a game, something like that. On the flip side, the number three defense in the SEC, only allowing 320 yards a game. Uh, and that's right up there with Georgia and Alabama. So knowing what we know about LSU, when you think, okay, they're going to play a really good defense, you say that doesn't sound too great because LSU's not been very good on offense lately. Uh, but it's a, an offense that's not that great. And LSU's actually been playing a really good defense despite being down a lot of guys who were starting earlier in the season. So a bit of wins for both sides here, you'd have to think there's going to be a raucous Tiger Stadium. LSU doesn't like A&M. A&M doesn't like LSU. Jimbo's gotten the best of Edo recently. You know that Orgeron wants to go out with a win in his final game, let alone beating Jimbo, whose name's getting tossed around out there for the job after Orgeron's gone. So storylines galore. It's always the final regular season game. Um, initial thoughts. I mean, six and a half points is the line. Does that, is that about what you figured it would be? Yeah, I was thinking like a touchdown probably because I I can't be more than it can't be too much more than touchdown because anything like it can't be like nine or ten or something because these teams are just aren't going to score enough right like it's going to be it might be the first of 20 wins this game like it's really might be that low scoring of a game like like kind of like the Auburn game in a sense to where um you know Auburn had to make some late plays with Bo Nix to kind of pull that one out I could see it kind of working out in that way uh LSU coming out hot you know they usually do well on first quarter, so I could see LSU maybe taking an early lead. But I'm really worried about if it's a close game and Max Johnson has to make some tight throws, that always concerns me. And the turnover factor, like we saw against Kentucky, is always there. If LSU just has a couple turnovers and doesn't win the turnover battle, I can't see them winning this game. And But and him, Zach Calzada is not you know a good quarterback, great quarterback. Uh, it's going to be a running attack from them. And if if we've learned anything about LSU the past few weeks, it's that they can now stop the run after, you know, after Lane Kiffin told Ogeron, he was like, hey, you know, you're running the same thing every time. They kind of changed up and now they stop the run. So I'm I'm really struggling to see where they get point. Anyone scores here. I think 
for the most part, AM or I'm sorry, LSU has a little bit more explosive players on the outside. I'm but, no doubt. But AM, you know, does have Jalen Widemeyer, who's a very solid tight end, and they have that run game with Spiller and a chain, who I mean, that's a hell of a one-two punch right there. And they've deviated away from Spiller in some LSU games and some of their big games, like they just weren't going to Spiller at times. And when they did, it was like, oh, that's what you should have been doing the whole time. So yeah. I'm curious how much they Jimbo will try to run it, knowing that LSU has been playing good run D. But to your point of points, so LSU loses what? They give up 42 at Kentucky, 42 back home against Florida, 31 in Oxford, and really – Ole Miss probably could have scored yeah. more than that and in a real way. Lane let off the gas against Cocho in that one. Then they hit a bye week and they shuffle it all up. Bama, they give up 20 points. They get that down to 16 points in overtime against Arkansas, which is 13 points in regulation, and then 14 points against ULM. And ULM had a short field after that fake punt to get one of them, and then they gave up a cheap one at the end. So in that game, ULM could have not scored in that game. I mean, it was close to it being that way. So I'm with you in the sense of where – Whereas if LSU's not shooting themselves in the foot and just giving A&M field position all game, where's A&M's long drives or explosive plays coming from? I mean, they're, they don't have a top 10 offense in the SEC right now. Um, you look at like even Bama, Arkansas, those are teams that can score points on people. Uh, even if it's not the normal Bama, even if Arkansas kind of hit a wall at the midway point of the season, they've got some good offenses. They've got some good coordinators like O'Brien, is known to be a good offensive coach. Certainly Bryles is. Like, they were getting stymied by the LSU defense. And then Rich Rod is a good offensive coordinator. He obviously doesn't have uh, a lot of tools at his uh, shed. He's got a son at quarterback, but uh, he was sort of running for his life at times. And uh, they were still able to come up with a couple, but not much. So point being, I don't know where A&M's getting all their points from. I think this could be like the A&M – it was ugly. That was AM Link game last year, I think, when Finley started and when it was like seventeen to thirteen final. Like yeah. I could see yeah. it being another we one. Played of well last year against AM. I remember uh taking that in my notes. I mean, the defense played like one of its better games, and last year's defense obviously was bad like the entire year, but that game specifically, they just were outmatched. That AM team last year was was better than this year's team. Obviously, Kellen Mond and had they had a little more, more weapons. So um I'm yeah, I, I, 20 to seven last year. Yeah, it was it was a pretty ugly game, too. I remember that. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of baiting myself into like look, taking the under now. But, you know, I've been wrong so and, much on this team that. And here you go. Both teams in the game last year finished with 267 yards. Wow. Both of them. Jeez. 267 in a 20 to seven game. Oh, yeah. That's I don't know. Yeah, I don't even score at home. I think I honestly think it comes down to this. If if LSU can run the ball with Ty Davis Price for close to, if not over a hundred yards, I think they can win this game. I think they actually will probably win this game. I'm worried that they're not gonna be able to run the ball. Like I'm worried they're gonna revert back to their kind of old ways and have to like complete some short passes and have to get lucky with some busted coverages. But if they're able to run the ball like 30 carries for 110 yards, 120 yards, like that's more than enough, I think, to get enough first downs, to get in field goal range enough, to um, you know maybe get in the red zone and get lucky, get a couple of pass interferences. I really they're think not good in the red zone either. That's LSU. That's, that's another issue. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Yep, they're gonna have to get lucky. I I think it's a low scoring game, but if LSU can run the ball and match, because I and I think it's gonna run the ball decently. I don't think they're gonna break big runs, but LSU has to match that. Basically, is what I'm saying. Like it can't be 
Max Johnson against the AM run game. You know what I mean? So that that's what it comes down to me. Um, I don't know who I'm gonna pick yet. I'm kind of on the fence right now, but I've I got your think- who we, we just need your gambling picks, brother, and we've already got a Maddie B lock of the century, the under, the under and LSU covering the six and a half. You heard it oh. here first. There you go. Parlay it together. Get, get some nice uh it's on oh it's it's after Thanksgiving. I was gonna say get your kids something nice for Thanksgiving. I don't even know but uh why you do that, but why not something to eat. There you go. Uh pay for the turkey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com all right let's let's talk about what everybody is uh kind of here for i guess at this point the coaching shirt search update shay you just released your uh hot board uh kind of trend meter 2.0 i released uh, another coaching evaluation my fifth or sixth one i believe sixth i think luke fickle um i got a couple more left in the tank uh, we'll see how those those will come out in the next couple of days. But what has stood out to you so far, just the, the trends as you continue to kind of monitor things as they're kind of playing out? Yeah. Okay, we'll do this. We'll do a bit of an exercise here. I'll work down what I think. And look, Scott Woodward and his inner circle kept this super close to the vest. I mean, there's been very little leaks. There's been very much you could put your finger on and say, man, I totally believe that. And and that's where they are right now in a deal or they're reportedly offered this guy. None of that has really happened. So it's just been a lot of speculation as to who is kind of like a top group or who's really in contention. And, and as these other jobs open up, USC, Washington, Washington, not really, it's like they're competing with LSU, but yeah. Florida now with Dan Mullen, Virginia Tech, which has sort of been in the mix for some of the guys that are on the list. So you're starting to see teams feel like, okay, man, our fans feel like, Oh man, pressure's on LSU. They uh, hopefully they've got their guy, and I think Woodward's had a month and a half now to figure out exactly where he's at, and and now we'll see kind of what the time frame looks like. But and I'll sort of give the rundown there before we start on the candidates. If the coach is not in, like we're presuming this is a college head coach or you know college coach, if he's not in the conference championship game, then you could announce it as early as Sunday. You play in him Saturday, you can announce it on Sunday. If he is in the conference championship, you wait till next weekend. So then it could be as early as Sunday of next weekend. And if for some reason he's in the playoffs, if it's one of those coaches, then I guess in theory that coach would coach through the playoffs. And then everyone would say, well, what about recruiting early signing day, the portal? It would be a, and, and I've asked about this, and, and someone I trust told me that if that were the case, if it's someone in the playoffs and Woodward knows that, then he's already got the deal done behind the scenes. So you don't have to worry like, oh, what if they get there and that guy backs out and then who do you hire? It wouldn't be like that. And also the person said, and then it would be simple math because if Kirby is in the playoffs and, you know, whomever else, you know, these guys that LSU's not hiring, you're not getting those guys that there may only be one team or two teams in the playoffs that you even say that guy is someone LSU's after and they haven't named their coach, it's probably him. And recruits would know that, you know, it would be sort of widespread at that point. So yeah, let's do this. We'll do the tiers. You mentioned you've done coaching breakdown. So I'll ask you to have a little reaction after each one. But I do, and I have believed, that the tier one group 
in Woodward's mind was Jimbo Fisher, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, and Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Now, sort of it's like a one is not like the other thing with Mel Tucker. It's, you know, he's a second-year guy at Michigan State. They were bad last year. They were now good this year. How has he put himself in that conversation? Is he really in that conversation? And, and I think Michigan State offering up what a the the Jimbo deal. I mean, he got the 10-year, $95 million reported offer, which is what Jimbo signed in his extension before the season. That puts you right behind Saban as the highest-paid coach, coach in college football. You don't just get that contract given to you in year two for winning, you know, I think they're what, two, they've had two losses. So they could, in theory, finish 10-2 and two if they win this weekend over Penn State. But, you know, at that point when they gave it to him, he's got seven, eight, and into nine wins. You're not getting it then, you know, and you just – just not happening. They're not making you the second highest paid coach in college football, unless someone's out there trying to get you and they're throwing around a lot of money. And clearly LSU is in a position where they feel like they're the premier job. They feel like Woodward's got a track record of I'll open. We saw it with Kim Mulkey. We saw it at A&M with Jimbo Fisher that he'll open up the checkbook to go get the person that he wants. So I think that Mel Tucker, it's almost like it's easy to believe he is in Woodward's group because you saw at Michigan state, how they reacted. Fisher is the obvious one that makes sense. People know that Woodward hired Fisher to AM. People know that Jimbo worked at LSU from through the Saban and Miles tenures. And people know that Jimbo and Scott are close. So it's not a big surprise that he's going after him. AM's in the West. AM's got a great recruiting class. You know, that one's not a surprise. And Lincoln, you know, I, I don't I can't promise you I know where in Scott's mind and Woodward's mind where Lincoln stacks up on his list. But Lincoln's one of the best off, the best offensive minds in college football. He's the head coach. He's 38 years old. He's been a head coach at a really good playoff contender and kept them as a playoff contender for you know more than just a couple of years. He's got a very you know 80 near 80 percent win percentage. So I totally understand why he would be on that list. Here's what I'll ask you. Those are what I think is the top three. And do I think Woodward? We haven't heard Tucker signed a contract. We've heard Jimbo deny, deny, deny. It doesn't mean anything on a podium, even if it's, I believe, Mike Tomlin. I don't know if I believe anybody yeah. else, as you said. Uh, and with Riley, it was sort of just like, hey, guys, you know, I love OU. I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm, I'm here. Nothing's changed. And it's sort of like, okay, no one's real. I'll believe it when someone's hired that these guys are telling the truth type thing. So when you, and you've got Mel Tucker done, you haven't run it on the site. So at least you know about his background. Yeah. How would you rank, not if you're Woodward, how do you think would you rank those three coaches in terms of how successful they would be at LSU? Not I, who you think will get hired, not what Woodward thinks, yeah. but who you think. I definitely have Lincoln Riley won, and I think it's only off the principle of what he's done at the quarterback position. I think the quarterback position, we've seen this year in college football kind of a lull in with the quarterback position, right? You see across the country there's like a lot of quarterback competitions, <clears throat> a lot of – uh, uncertainty at the quarterback position. Um, there's been some injuries as well, but you took away, you know, the five quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round last year and replaced them with like, we've seen DJ Uyunglele from Clemson, not really be that guy, you know, CJ Stroud from Ohio state's been good. He hasn't been just a field, but he's been really good. You know, you just replaced it. Bryce Young's been good, not great. Um, so you, you, I think the quarterback position has just become increasingly difficult at the college level and it comes and waxes and wanes. But if you look at, and Oklahoma is not, you know, is in the same boat, right? Spencer Rattler um, is, was, was the Heisman favorite or one of the Heisman favorites and then ends up getting benched. 
I think Link, Lincoln Riley's and then Caleb Williams became the Heisman favorite. So he's just sort of just got this Heisman favorite exactly. that rhetoric going on. I mean, hell, I mean, between Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. I mean, you go down the list of of guys that obviously he didn't. I don't think he. Um, I mean, he wasn't the head coach when Baker Mayfield got there. But you get what I'm saying. I think his ability to develop and spot talent at the quarterback position is NFL tier. I think it's one of the best. I mean, it is the best in the country and also his ability to recruit them. And so immediately you put him in Louisiana and he's already familiar recruiting Texas. He's already familiar recruiting everywhere. I mean, California, um, Florida, wherever the best quarterback is, he goes and gets them. And I think that that alone gives me the trust that he can um, win anywhere. And especially at LSU. So you give him, and then you give him the weapons, the Jamar chases, the Terrace Williams, or uh, you give him every, any of the weapons LSU's had over the past five years plus years. And I just don't see how you stop him because at OU, it's like, all right, we have Hollywood Brown here. And then there's like a, you know, the next in line, like Marvin Mims right now is really good. But like, you know, there's, there's a little bit of uncertainty. No, LSU, you get top end receivers every single year. You pair that with the quarterback coach of Lincoln Riley. I think the offense is just un, unreal. Like, um, so I think Lincoln Riley would be one for me. Uh, two, I'm, I'm Tucker and Fisher are in a similar boat for me. They're not in that top tier. Um, I don't think when we did the podcast last week, I named either of them as like my top three. Um, or I might have had Tucker three actually, because at the time I had done that evaluation, I really liked his background, but. I think I'm still reeling from that Ohio State loss this past weekend uh, where they just looked inept to a degree. So, um, yeah, it's I, I I like both of them. I would probably go Fisher just because I think from a stability standpoint, you know what you're getting from him. He has ties in Louisiana, um, at least from his six or seven years here. So, And I think he just – and he's won a national championship, not for nothing. So I would go Lincoln, then Jimbo, and then Mel is my one, two, three as far as who would do the best um, here from those three. Yeah, and no, I think the Jimbo, like we just said, their offense, and again, they have Calzada now, but it's not, I don't think Calzada was that great of a quarterback out of high school. You know, he was not like he was a top 10 quarterback. So their offense isn't top 10 in the country or in the SEC right now. They're, you know, not lighting it up on that. I mean, people have said Jimbo's philosophy and offense philosophy is outdated at this point. And but the one thing you'd say about Jimbo is he knows how to recruit. I mean, AM is out there pulling in guys that everyone was looking left and why are those guys going to college station and jimbo knows how to get it done in recruiting i think scott probably values that as as one of the key things that he thinks he could build a program you know i mean jimbo is one thing you can't knock him on he can build a roster for you we're seeing that right now in college station um but i think that's the top three i don't know if it will be one of them but if it does bleed in and, and with what i would believe is woodward's working in tiers and if you're maybe in his mind those that's the top tier Behind that, and I think probably at the top of the list is Fickle. And I don't think he's leaving Cincinnati. Or, I mean, I, for LSU, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe he does, but he's a Midwest guy. I would wonder, and I'll talk about Matt Campbell in a second. I would wonder a bit, bit of about fit there. Like, he's a really good coach, and he's won at Cincinnati. He's recruited well. But I said this on the last podcast. Like, they beat everyone how they do because he recruits well, and they just have way better players than everybody that they play. So they're going to beat these teams. They should be beating these teams. He's done a good job of doing that, and I do think he's a really good coach. But I also think he spent his light time in the Midwest, you know, and, and does Whole that translate down here, right? And that's the same for Matt Campbell. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but I also think Matt Campbell has kind of pushed himself up into that next group. I'm not sure how far down the list he is, but I do think that 
he's a guy that's gotten a look. I, and I've asked around. I do think he's gotten a look. But I'll give you this, and I should have had it up. I'm looking over right now. But um, let's see. He's been at Ohio State and Toledo, obviously, is where he started yeah. out uh, – or is where he went as a, a head coach um, before – let's see, before uh, he was at Iowa State. You talking about Matt Campbell now? Yeah, let me just look it up here. It's maybe it's easier for me to just do it right here. Yeah. Um, but he's only had one season, Maddie B. Because I don't think – did you do his today or was today fickle? Today was fickle. Okay. So here it is. All right. Uh, at Iowa State, he's had one season. He's been there since 2016. So that's three, six years. He's had one season where he's won more than eight games. And that was the 2020 pandemic year. They won nine games. And because of that, they ended up being in first place on the side of the Big 12. They make it to the Fiesta Bowl. That's his lone New Year Six Bowl. Now, he's not going to one with Toledo, but in six years in the Big 12, it's like not all that great. I mean, like Oklahoma has been around. Texas is super down. And he's won two games, five games, six games, five games. I'm sorry, that's conference. Three, eight, eight, seven, nine, six. And yeah. this year, there's six and five. So and th- that and this year was supposed out to be. To yeah, and this year was supposed to be the year where they like kind of took the next next step forward, right? They, I think they were number six in the pre- preseason polls, like because after last year they returned everybody, and then we see him obviously have a down year here, and it's like, okay, was that a fluke year? Because there were some teams that last year had a fluke year in a bad way, but then there were teams like Indiana and Iowa State that had really really good years out of nowhere seemingly, and then you know it forces you to ask like, okay. Were those the fluke years? Like that's right. just how it goes. So I I don't know if I trust that. Right, and I think about fit too here, and I say that with Fickle. And Fickle's got a way better track record at this point than Campbell does. Uh, granted, in Fickle's not at a Power Five program, but yeah. we're talking about in Campbell, a guy who's coached at Bowling Green, Toledo, Iowa State, played at Pitt, born in Ohio. You know, went to high school yeah. in Ohio. So. Midwest through and through does, you know, he's not like they're out there out recruiting the world in the big 12 to Iowa state. They've landed a few good players for sure. Um, But I think he's a really solid coach. I just think you'd have a lot of guys on the list that you could put up there and say, man, I feel a little bit better about him than I would about Campbell. And then, you know, tacking his resume on the wall and saying, get excited over this. I think he's a good coach. He's had some nice wins for sure. I don't know if Woodward, that's where Woodward lands. At least Fickle with Fickle, obviously, like I said, he's been in Ohio, Ohio basically his whole life. And if you look at his recruiting classes, he's basically only rec- like his top players are always from Ohio pretty much every year. So it's like, all right, this guy knows Ohio. He can recruit Ohio. Getting him to TSEC is a little concerning. However, at least he can go in there and pitch. Like we've been a top 10 team the last two years. We've been a top 25 team the last four years. And that was at Cincinnati. You know, this is LSU. So now at least he can pitch the perspective of being a winner, you know, not only a winner, but a top tier winner. So I feel like that's the edge there over Matt Campbell. Right. And then with Fickle, too, he's been a D.C. at Ohio State for a number of years when they were, you know, they were a very good college football team. Then, as you say, gets a Cincinnati job. He takes over a crack program. They go four and eight that first year. Then he wins 11 games, 11 games, nine, nine and one in the pandemic year when they played 10 games. And now 11 and 0. So, I mean, he's done nothing but win. Like, yes, he may have some better teams than them, but he does nothing but win. So, yeah. I'd certainly, if, you know, and I've heard this that I trust that Fickle was ahead of guys like Campbell on the list, but that 
Fickle and maybe even Campbell to an extent you'd worry about fit. And then with Fickle, you're just not even sure if you can get him. So it brings me to my other two guys that are in this. And you've already done the evals on both. And both have probably been talked about on our board more than any other candidate out there. Yep. Right alongside Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Billy Napier at UL and Dave Rand at Baylor. And I think LSU is a better job than the Florida job. I think in Florida, you're having to compete against a lot of schools. You're having to compete against Georgia, Bama, all them for recruits too, who are trying to come into Florida. Um, a lot of teams recruit the state of Florida and you've got LSU as your permanent opponent. You're having to play behind Georgia. Who's really stabilized themselves atop the East, much like Bama has in the West. It's just, you would view that as kind of tough to win, but it's still a really great job. Billy Napier's name is being put up front. Uh, you know, in the race for this Florida job right now. And LSU fans are saying, well, why does he have to be so far down our list? You know, just because he's at UL, just because that's viewed as the in-state small, you know, group of five school, but much like fickle, he's gone to UL and just had nothing but success. I mean, he turned it around and then every year, bang, double digit win, double digit win, double digit win. And they're on that same path this year. They'll play Houston uh, in the conference championship game, or excuse me, uh, app state in the conference championship game. Uh, in two weekends, they actually play ULM uh, this weekend. So you'd assume he's going to win that game, yeah. um, but they'll finish with one loss. And then uh, we'll see how he does against App State. Aranda being the other one, D coordinator at LSU. Woodward spent one year with him, 2019 at LSU. So he's got a glimpse into certainly, I mean, Woodward is the type of AD who spends a lot of time in the football building. So, you know, that 2019 year, he knew exactly what Dave Aranda was doing on the defensive yeah. side. He was able to observe it. And now you see it from afar with him at Baylor and a lot of former LSU coaches. Bad year a year ago. He adjusted in the offseason. Year two, they were rolling. They've had some big wins. He looks like he's in total control. I mean, he had backup quarterback Blake Shapin from Evangel goes in the game. He's a baseball, really a baseball kid who playing signing on with Baylor and, and trying to play some football as well. Comes in and wins that game at Kansas State for him. And it looked like, oh, man, they're down to their backup quarterback. Like, this could get testy. And they won comfortably. So you're immediate. This is actually, here's how I'll frame this question, because this is really tough for me to do when people ask, who would you have higher, Rander or Napier? Because I think maybe in Woodward's mind, there's a little bit of that Napier coaches at UL thing going on that can maybe put a Randa ahead of him. But Napier's been a head coach longer. Napier's been a head coach in Louisiana and knows the lay of the land. And Napier is a Saban disciple, right? And, and look, Aranda's a defensive genius in his own mind. He comes from a, a tree of, you know, really good coaches that he's been around on the come up of Herman and all those guys. So he understands both sides of the ball really well. But when you, you went through both the rebounds, which one did you leave and say, I, I feel a little bit better about this guy? Yeah, I, I love them both. I really do. I really think both of them are great too. hires. I think they'd be great hires either way. Um, I'm going to go Aranda though. I think Aranda just because of what he's done at Baylor and I feel like this Baylor team is kind of him in a sense. And Baylor has been good before him, obviously Matt rule, obviously. Um, but this Baylor team feels like it's him. It feels like it is a consistent force that no matter who's on the field, like you said, the back quarterback goes down, Bohannon goes down and they end up winning the game at Kansas state, a good Kansas state team. They go and beat Oklahoma. Right. And, I think Oklahoma is the more talented team than Baylor this year, but they go and beat them at home. I look at this Baylor team as being a kind of an embodiment of what Dave Aranda is. And I really think Dave Aranda is a very good defensive coach, but more than anything, I think he 
earns the respect of his players. And he's not a, he's kind of like the opposite of Orgeron in a sense, as far as how he gets the respect of his players, but he gets the respect of his players. And I think I trust that more so coming from Baylor than I do from UL and UL, like I said, Napier, I would be very happy. Um, and I think a lot of fans would be very happy if he got the job. I, that jump is a little bit more is a little bit scarier to me than it is Baylor to LSU. Cause I think Baylor winning at Baylor is not easy. And I think Matt rule is a high quality coach and for Aranda to come in and to kind of just continue what he built there or what rule did there is very significant to me. So I think uh, you get him, you instill the defensive culture. I think the defensive talent will just flow through LSU and then you hire the right coordinators obviously, and you build it from there, but I'm going to go Dave Aranda as, as kind of the guy for me between those two. Okay, and Aranda, well, I'll ask you this quickly. Aranda, I guess Napier's viewed, too, as a program builder. We've seen it at UL. I mean, he's built yep. it that way. He's got sort of the Saban, uh, you know, cheat sheet of how to do it, and, he, and he's put his own touch on it, obviously, but he's got a loyal staff of assistants. We don't see his players transferring out to bigger programs when they've had success. They've stuck. They've built something in Lafayette that I think people say, man, LSU needs that kind of thing here, and you know, we've seen them drift down scholarship numbers. We're seeing Eli Ricks transfer out. We're seeing, yeah. and granted, look, they're in a coaching change now. But even before then, it was this instability that had fans worried. And, and I think that Napier is viewed, in, in a sense, as a program stabilizer. And I think Aranda maybe could be viewed the same way, as you just described. And Aranda right now as a former LSU staffer, as his offensive coordinator uh, in, uh, in Jeff Grimes, and he was at BYU, obviously, with Zach Wilson um, and Eric Mateos as the O-line coach. Now those guys are at Baylor, but Grimes' name gets tossed around for head coaching positions, like he could take a smaller one somewhere. And I think Aranda, people would say, well, look, Aranda gets it. He would know who to go hire on offense. I, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, but you did the breakdown. Napier calls the play. You know, Napier is going to be the offensive coordinator. Yeah. He'll call plays. He'll have an offensive coordinator. But what – would Napier's offense work here? I don't think people, without digging into it or maybe reading your piece, yeah, like they know what Aranda brings down defense, but Napier, an offensive coach who calls the plays, what is he bringing in terms of a philosophy? I feel like he's really malleable. Uh, there is this year, I mean, he's had, I believe the name is Levi Lewis at UL the past couple of years, yeah. and, and he's a good quarterback. He's not obviously what you would expect from an LSU quarterback, obviously. So, I think you give him a quarterback and I think you see his playbook kind of open up right now. Right now it's kind of a lot more of pistol sets, two tight end stuff, in, in, but they're really versatile out of that. And it's a little bit more run heavy. They had Elijah Mitchell the past couple of years, obviously in the NFL now with the 49ers. So he's kind of tailored to his personnel at UL. And it's just like, we're going to out physical teams. We're going to be able to run the ball because we don't, we have a good quarterback that can kind of run and is good for the Sun Belt, but it's not going to overwhelm defenses like coastal Carolina. Right. So he's made the most with what he's done um, on offense. And I I've been really kind of impressed with it because while it doesn't jump off the stat sheet, it's gotten a lot of wins and it's given Sunbelt teams a lot of problems and it's helped their defense even uh, with how they're able to kind of control the game. We are in agreement that we would have both these guys over Campbell. I think I would have both these guys over Matt Campbell. Yeah, I would definitely have both of them over Campbell. I have them. I would have them right there with Mel Tucker, honestly. Okay, so like, I'm. I, I mean, I would have Lane Kiffin up there with them too. So, but I don't think that's as realistic as a of a of a of a hiring from from LSU. 
let's see. Um, I have the where did it go? A shameless plug: the LS, the the Lane Kiffin uh, evaluation is also on the site. So, what his name's getting tossed around for Florida as well, yep. and then people think Miami might open. We'll see what happens there. Um, okay. Some other names I had on there: Mark Stoops sort of fits for me into the Matt Campbell in a way category. Of, I feel like, like a, what's up? Kind of like a limited uh ceiling type guy that you think can yeah. just kind of come in and and then i think people are just like it's really impressive what he's done at, been doing at kentucky and he's been there nine years and he's won more than eight games once and that was in 20 in 2018 they won 10 games he's never been to a new year's six bowl so even on the weaker side of the conference when florida's been down and he's been there through the years of when georgia had a coaching change they've never risen up and grabbed a new year's six bowl they've never uh, like I said, one more than eight games, just one time. It was 10. So I've been impressed like what he's done at Kentucky, sort of like built it to where every year they're competitive enough in the East that they can finish up there and maybe in the second spot, maybe in the third spot, but certainly not bottom of the barrel. It wouldn't move the meter for me. And, and I know that's been tossed around. Bill O'Brien, I could just, and I know his name has been tossed around with Mark Stoops. I think O'Brien probably goes back to the NFL and he doesn't, I mean, like Virginia Tech's open. That's me. Like if he wants to be a college head coach again, I'd be a bit surprised if he was still Bama's OC. Like that sort of seems like a revolving door for Saban at times. And, and Bama's not like lit things up on offense this year. So that one wouldn't move the meter a ton for me. Um, Sarkeesian, if you think of like past Woodward hires, Sarkeesian and Peterson got hired at Washington. I don't expect either of them to be in the mix. And then Kiffin is obviously a, a really great offensive mind. Um, if you can get Levy or Bryles with him, you're even better. But I just think with everything that's been going on around LSU's program and around yeah. the university, <clears throat> I'm not saying that Kevin's got like a boatload of Title IX issues at all. I just think he's got like that young flair about him that is sort of like, okay, we <laughs> we may not need to go down that road right now. Um, and, and I think that's fine. I think Kevin probably winds up, if he's leaving Ole Miss, Florida, Miami could open. So uh, does he get back into the Sunshine State? We'll see. But I'm sort of there. I just think that if Woodward ends up moving past that Tucker, Fisher, Riley group, my gut just keeps telling me it's going to be a Ranger Napier. I don't know why. Maybe that's just because it's the two we talk about the most. But yeah. I don't think Fickle's leaving for the LSU job. And I'd be curious to see. Like, it feels like Napier. We talked about this last week, Maddie B. Like, if you hand Napier an offer, he's going to sign it right then. Like, if you handed that to Aranda, is he thinking, I'm a California native who went to college yeah, out there. Like, I could take the USC job. Like, mm -hmm. do I want to go to LSU and play in the SEC, or could I go to Washington and do something here and, like, get back on the you know on the West Coast? So I think that, like, it's no guarantee Aranda would take the job. Now, if they, you know, maybe they flash him a bunch of money, and, he's, and I'm wrong about that, and or, or however, they, if they wanted him, they might be able to get it done, no doubt. But it seems like Napier would be the one who would take it right away or Randa, you'd have to kind of wonder, but I just keep going back to those two. If it's not one of those guys, everyone says is in that top, top tier, then I would land on one of those and I'd feel good about it because I feel a lot better about them than everybody else. I'm looking at on the list of current college yeah. head coaches. I don't see anyone on the staff to promote to head coach, which is, you know, how the Dabos and Lincolns of the world got their job that, you know, I don't see anyone who, I would say is out there as a coordinator. Like Venables is probably the most well-known offensive or defensive yeah. coordinator that's not been a head coach, and they're just not going to stop being the D coordinator at Clemson. It doesn't seem he's had a lot he's, of opportunities. He's still happy over there. No, he's, right. he's, he's so, good. 
if it's not someone being promoted, if it's not at a current college coordinator, if it's not an NFL head coach or, or whomever, then it seems most definitely that it's going to be a college current sitting coach, which means we'll see how this sort of timeline works over the next coming weeks. But it'd be surprising to me if it wasn't sort of like one of these five or six guys that everyone's been talking about all along. It would like a Matt Campbell or Stoops or a Brian, like all of that would just be a bit surprising to me. And I don't think it fits the Woodward narrative of kind of big game Hunter that we've seen him sort of stick to almost across the board. Yep. Yep. I think you summed it up. Well, um, I don't have too much to add. I think Napier and Aranda make the most sense. Cause I think, they, if you just look at it on paper and you watch it, how things have played out, I think they're just the best fits from those other guys. So um, I'm interested to see how that'll play out. Um, I don't have anything else on it. Do you? Before no, we I'm good. Hey, All we, right. we promised some coaching stuff and we went a full hour there, but we gave them about 30 minutes of coaching stuff. That's good. Full hour podcast for y'all. There you go. We get, uh, but you're not you. getting anything else this week. So no. just, you know, unless it's breaking. In pieces, yeah. Consume in pieces. You know, I say this at the end when they're probably done with it at this point. But yeah, hopefully this got you through those, uh, whether it's drives or flights back home uh, for Thanksgiving uh, holidays and the weekend, uh, or maybe driving back to LSU or Baton Rouge from there, Louisiana. But we thank you all for joining us. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, we really appreciate it. Uh, Leave us a uh, subscribe, leave us a like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, If you're listening on the podcast, Spotify, Apple, Uh, Wherever you get your podcast, uh, feel free to leave us a like, leave us a rating, and leave us a review, all that stuff. So we thank you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.